Now on view at SCAD Fash, Manish Aurora's Life is Beautiful. Renowned for dazzling designs and a rainbow of colors, Manish Aurora has brought the talent and craftsmanship of India's rich sartorial history to the global forefront, earning international acclaim on runways across three continents. Designing in India since the 1990s, Aurora's glittering garments celebrate extravagant expressions of self through varied materials, techniques, and silhouettes in a triumphant union of Western and Eastern aesthetics adapted to today's multicultural society with a touch of humor. Find out more at scadfash.org. Support for WABE comes from 100 Miles, a nonprofit committed to preserving Georgia's 100-mile coast. Protecting this critical coastal ecosystem takes all of us. Watch the stories of the innovators and future leaders who help keep our coast flowing at OurGeorgiaCoast.org. From WABE in Atlanta, this is City Lights. I'm Lois Reitzes. Thank you for listening. Visual artists and musicians are in today's lineup. Singer Brenda Nicole Moore reflects on her soul, folk, and jazz style. And we'll hear from pop culture concept artist Ricky Prosper in our series Speaking of the Arts. Indigo Prayers is a new exhibition at the Carlos Museum featuring works by the artist and activist Charmaine Minifield, inspired by her time in Gambia, West Africa, searching for her grandmother's ancestral lines. The artwork continues Minifield's ongoing exploration of the ring shout, an African-American practice of resistance whose West African origins predate enslavement. First, when Cam Kirk first picked up a camera as a Morehouse student in 2007, he didn't see many black photographers in the field, so he decided to carve out his own path and create Cam Kirk Studios. He has photographed and produced for many hip-hop and rap artists, from Two Chains to Gucci Mane. His studio also offers space for young creatives to better their skills. On Sunday, May 15th, Cam is hosting a photography tour which is part of a community cleanup. He joins me now via Zoom. Cam Kirk, welcome to City Lights. Hey, how you doing? Thanks for having me. I appreciate those great words. Well, thanks. We're thrilled you're with us and look forward to hearing more about your artwork and your community work. Would you tell us about your start in photography after discovering your interest as a college student? Yeah, my start in photography came around 2012. That was when I decided to take it serious and to be a full-time creative in that field. Uh, At the time, I was really immersed in the local music scene of Atlanta. I had just finished college 
And I just wanted to find a way to, you know, explore my passions in marketing by using a, a camera to kind of carry that out. So in 2012, I was working for a lot of local music artists coming out of Atlanta and just shooting photos for them, directing music videos for them, just overall documenting what was going on in Atlanta. It all started that year. And then from there, to be honest, it's been the easiest thing I've ever tried to do. <laughs> yeah, like everything has just happened so fast and moved so fast. So here I am 10 years later, enjoying the fruits of, of the work and, and the seeds I planted 10 years ago. And I just couldn't be more blessed. Well, I think that says something about your work itself. And those artists you were speaking about with the likes of Migos, Future, 21 Savage. How did you get your foot in the door with these major musicians? Yeah, it's funny because now when you look back at those names, yeah, you see superstars. But once upon a time, they were just local artists or they were locally trying to get their foot in the door. And I just think I came into photography at the right time where uh, we were like a small knit community of collaborators, you know, me with the camera and them musically. And I just got in the right rooms and everybody is like an arm's length away. So I work with one artist, which will lead to me working with the next artist, which will lead to me being in a room with the next artist. And I just was able to kind of stand out in my craft and be, you know, what many call like a little eye of Atlanta, like really hmm. documenting that cultural scene. And then now look back, you know, we all have been extremely successful and have gained a large uh, notoriety in our craft. So now those names are superstars, but 10 years ago, those names were just like local up and coming talent. So how great to be living in this city, yes, at the time we are. In 2017, you opened a space for Atlanta creatives to hone their skills and learn more about marketing, technology, shooting, and more. Why did you feel it was important to have this space in Atlanta camp? Well, for me, I looked at my needs first. So I still was a young photographer. I was only five years into the craft. And I looked at my career and said, wow, even though I've achieved certain levels of success, there's still a lot of resources that I wish I had. I wish I had a space to go practice in studio. I wish I could learn more about lighting. I wish I could learn more about photography in general. And I wish I had a community of support, like a supportive community that would like back some of the ideas I have or just, you know, give me positive inspiration and things of that nature. So it started from looking at my own need and then realizing I'm not alone in that need and wanting that space and just seeing a void in Atlanta's creative scene was a space that just really empowered other young creatives and really a space that kind of let them know that if no one else believes photography or creativity can be a true profession, like we believe that. And so many of our young clients have that similar story of trying to convince their parents that this is a job, this is a real job and they can do something with it. It was just started from that void that I just felt Atlanta needed. So are there other resources at Camp Kirk Studios? Yeah, we're really an all-inclusive creative space and a community space. So we also have 
we call it our creator's lab, which is like a computer lab that's filled with high power computers with all the apps and programs um, that you need to create. Uh, we have beat making a music production equipment in there. We have podcast mics in there if you wanted to host your podcast. Um, but then beyond just creativity, we're also invested in just like the overall growth of our community, you know, physically and just environmentally. So we do a lot of community work out here as well, where whether that's just cleaning up our neighborhood or we host a annual conference on Martin Luther King's birthday that mm. focuses on business, technology, fashion, arts, and community. Very impressive. Is that your Yesterday's Tomorrow conference? Yep, takes place every year on Martin Luther King's birthday, uh, the holiday. And it's a community conference that really focuses on some of the pillars Martin Luther King spoke about, which was really like doing the work and not just talking about it, but actually getting in your community and, and finding ways to make it better. So the way that conference works is it's completely free but it does require you to do community service work in order to gain admission. So uh, leading up to the conference, we host about 10 to 15 community service events, and we encourage the community to come out and volunteer with us. And in exchange for volunteering with us, we give back to them by giving them a conference with some of the leaders within the community coming back and giving back their time, knowledge, and energy to mentorship for that special day. If you are just joining us, this is City Lights on WABE. I'm Lois Wrights, speaking with photographer and studio owner Cam Kirk. Would you tell us about night school? Yes, yes. Night school is one of my favorite projects that we do here at Cam Kirk Studios. It's a free workshop series. So two times a month, we bring in a teacher to actually teach and host a free workshop on different topics within the creative field. So some topics or one month, it could be about photography, lighting, and one session could be about fashion design or designing merchandise or business. So it's a growing series that we've been doing now really for about two to three years, but our night school series is really fun. It's a really intimate experience. We only allow 20 students to attend each class, uh, which keeps the vibe very intimate and keeps it very easy to grow and learn from. And who teaches the night school courses? One of the courses each month is taught by us, our direct studio staff. And then one of the courses is always taught by what we call a substitute teacher, which is a leader or an influencer or, you know, another successful creative that comes in with the expertise to touch on different subjects. So once a month it's us and once a month it's an outside guest instructor. I'm eager to hear how you came up with the idea for the photography tour slash community cleanup. Yeah, so in our community where our studio is located, I was just walking to work constantly and noticing one, just a lack of, of trash cans, which was our first issue. There literally wasn't a lot of places to just throw away garbage if you had it, if you were getting out of your car and you had a cup or a bottle of water. Um, it seemed like there was a, a little bit of a disparity with 
just waste containers in our community. Would you tell us which community, which neighborhood that is? Yeah, we're located downtown Atlanta. We're on Forsyth Street, between Forsyth Street and Ted Turner, like right in that intersection area. And yeah, I, I just noticed there was a disparity there. We reached out to the city uh, of Atlanta. They actually told us, yeah, it is. And they marked a bunch of areas where trash cans were needed. But in turn, they also gave me an invoice or a bill and said, if you think you need trash cans here, you got to pay for it. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, which was a little alarming to me. It was really alarming. So that really just motivated me even more to just take ownership in this neighborhood. So me, along with my partners at Sprite and Coca-Cola, we actually invested $25,000 to buy trash cans and recycling bins in our neighborhood. So if you're at our studio, if you're ever in the area and you notice these black and blue dual receptacles, you know, they were all paid for by our studio and by Sprite as a partnership to, you know, attack that problem. So within that, that mission, we take it upon ourselves, you know, when the weather is nice once a month to gather the community together and to go out and still pick up and collect more trash off the streets and off the ground. And everything we do is always community service with a creative twist to it, a creative spin. So for our community cleanups, we also add photography in it. So along our walk, we usually walk like a mile radius. And along our walk, we have photographers come out and they photograph like buildings or street art or restaurants or businesses along the path and we we create like a little contest where the top photos from each walk they get free studio time so just another incentive to get young people excited about taking pride in their neighborhood and their community we collect hundreds of pounds of trash which is also alarming on this path but it's been fun we're trying to find a way to make you know cleaning up and taking care of your community fun and also finding ways to you know, take ownership and responsibility for our communities and putting the ball back in our hands because like I learned the hard way, they're expecting us to pay for everything and to do everything. So you kind of got to do it. I'm still trying to process that in the heart of downtown Atlanta. We're talking about Central City. You were told you'd have to pay for trash bins. Yeah, yeah, it's, it was a head scratcher for me too. I didn't understand that that's how it went. I was really confused by it. And then I was told like, yeah, most of the trash cans you see sometimes were sponsored by a local business or something. And it was just really, you know, alarming to me because the day that they came and they zoned out where my trash cans would be at, they noticed how much of a need it was. They literally put like so many X's on my block of like, okay, a trash can could go here. One should go here. One should go here. And it's like, they just waited for me to do something about it, which was a little crazy. Okay. So now we've had all of this impressive work done on the part of you and your colleagues. And I imagine there are volunteers who accompany you too. Has City Hall learned about this? I'm not sure. I would hope maybe <laughs> somebody told them, but 
I'm not sure. I've never had a conversation. I never had the privilege of meeting our former mayor to even, you know, let them know about the things we're doing. For our yesterday's tomorrow conference, I did get a proclamation from Andre Dickens. So hopefully we're building a better relationship with the city where they can see what we're doing and what we're trying to do and how they can, you know, better assist us maybe. Great. Cam, I read that in 2020, you established a record label for photographers called the Collective Gallery. Yes. Why is it important to you to teach and help others grow in their own craft? Yeah, I think it's about sustainability. As, as you mentioned in, my, in your intro of me, I didn't see a lot of like-minded individuals like me in the field that I was in prior to me doing it. So I just wanted to create something and every step of, of my journey, I wanted to basically not only just do it for myself, but I wanted to find a way to make sure I brought other people in the door. So just like when I started my studio, I, it was because I needed a studio as well. I needed these resources as well. When I started Collective Gallery, it was because I had been a photographer handling my own business, managing myself with a small knit team for so long. And I, I wish I had a team behind me or resources or an agency of some sorts. So I started Collective Gallery because I needed it, but then I also noticed that other people needed it as well. Cam Kirk, Atlanta photographer and owner of Cam Kirk Studios. The photo tour community cleanup is Sunday, May 15th. More information is on our website, wabe.org. It's time now for our segment, Speaking of Music, where we get to hear from Atlanta musicians in their own words. Hi, my name is Brenda Nicole Moore. I'm a singer-songwriter here in Atlanta. I would describe my music more like a feeling than like a genre. I guess it is sort of jazz, folk, soul. Take another trip on a magic carpet ride. Take a little trip through your mind. I got started in music here in Atlanta at the age of 12, actually. I started singing with like different girl groups, R&B. I've sang background for so many different Atlanta-based artists. I always like to say Atlanta music scene has raised me artistically. Atlanta is my, my music parent, or <laughs> my music home. I've had the opportunity to learn and grow here and I love Atlanta music scene so much. I love our community. Being human, we experience all kinds of emotions and some of the strongest emotions are things that we write songs about, right? So love, hope, desire, heartbreak, all of these very strong emotions I'm, I'm inspired by. 
So I draw from my life, I draw from the people around me, but I'm also just inspired by going out and hearing other artists play. It's very inspiring and uplifting. The song I'm submitting is called Take a Little Trip, which is a cover of a Minnie Riperton song that Stevie Wonder wrote for Minnie. And Minnie Riverton is one of my all-time favorite singers. And the band and I were <laughs> kind of scared to cover this song, but I think we served it justice and I'm proud of what we did. The second song I'm submitting is called Find Your Way, which is one of my favorite songs from my, the last record I put out during the pandemic called Marrow. I think it's just a really inspiring song that talks about, you know, when life is giving you all kinds of curveballs and you're not really sure what you're doing, you don't really have a plan. This song is to remind you that even when you don't have a plan, there is a plan. The universe will give you what you need and the universe will listen and respond. And that's what that song is about. Atlanta has definitely influenced my music. I remember when I first started going up to New York to work with musicians up there and I'd bring my music from, you know, what I created here in Atlanta. They'd be like, oh my gosh, that sounds so Atlanta. And I was like, what does that mean? <laughs> I don't know that, what does Atlanta sound like? But I guess it's just like this soul kind of vibe where even if it's jazz, even if it's, pop even if it's you know rock there's there's this kind of soulful laid-back element to it I'm so proud to call Atlanta my artistic home I have done the New York the LA and traveled around but I always come back to Atlanta because our community here is unlike any other. We genuinely support each other. We love to be collaborative. We are so welcoming. And that's just hard to find in a music community. And I think the most important thing is that Atlanta is so open. The possibilities are endless. I always like to say whatever you want to do, Atlanta is a place that you can make it happen.
singer-songwriter Brendan Nicole Morer. And our series, Speaking of Music, more information about Morer's music is on our website, wabe.org. In a moment, artist and activist Charmaine Minifield details her new exhibition, Indigo Prayers, amplifying Atlanta. This is WABE. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. You love free, and at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. This is City Lights on WABE. I'm Lois Reitzes. Thank you for being here. The Ring Shout is an African-American practice of resistance, and the origins go back to West Africa predating enslavement. Artist and activist Charmaine Minifield explores this and her ancestral roots in a new exhibition at the Carlos Museum of Emory University, Indigo Prayers, a creation story. She joins us now via Zoom. Charmaine, welcome back to City Lights. Thank you, Lois, for having me. Always a joy. Likewise. Please share with us what motivated you to visit Gambia? Mm. I was in the Gambia right before COVID and the pandemic broke out, exploring an opportunity to set up a home for my family so that we might continue our research in West Africa of our origins. Oh, goodness, it was almost two years ago that I learned you were unable to leave Gambia for 14 months during COVID. Yes, yes. It was a life-changing experience. What research did you conduct during that time that led to more knowledge of your ancestral lineage? I have been following the line of my great-grandmother, Oralee Fuquay, because she had taught me how to shout, born in the Midwest with roots in Frankfurt and Central City, Kentucky, and had done the research through Fuquay line in Virginia at the point of entry here in the United States. That line came from Gilliam Fuquay, who was a Frenchman fleeing 
from religious persecution with nine in his party. One woman in that group was named Grace and she was of African descent, probably enslaved. Fuquay from France likely was taken from the Senegambia area of West Africa. And my travels allowed for me to return back to slave port points of extractions, Gori Island in Senegal, and in the Gambia, Jufere, which was the infamous slave port that Kunta Kinte was taken from. And while there, forced unexpectedly to remain during COVID, I had a chance to search for evidence of my family just by pursuing those expressions that were evidence of our cultural identity. So dance, music, movement, medium, actually, the the materials that I used. I painted an indigo as an ode to my ancestors who bought indigo here with them uh, during enslavement and the trade skills that came as well. I painted in crushed oyster shells, indicative of architectural accents in here in both the Southeast and the Gullah Geechee corridor and uh, on the coast of West Africa. So I followed those trade skills while I was in the Gambia, sought them out, interacted in, in celebrations and witnessed festival season in the Gambia and these beautiful totemic images and sculptures danced into the streets on New Year's Day. (laughs) Though all of that influenced the work because it showed how we would actually hold those, I call it encoded messages, coded within our identity, within our memories. You can see it as a map all the way back to the past from the present. Oh, what you describe is so moving and also attests to the importance of discovering whatever written records exist. It it was those records in Virginia, it sounds like, that helped lead you to these roots in I had been saying Gambia. I hear you saying the Gambia. This sounds like a proper reference, just as people used to say in the Ukraine, which we now know was Russia's word for it. Mm -hmm. Why the Gambia? The Republic of Gambia is the full name. And I say the Gambia as a shortened version of it. So Mm -hmm. let's step back. It was your great-grandmother who taught you the ring shout, correct? Yes. What exactly does a ring shout entail? I was raised Pentecostal, Lois. And uh, the ring shout has evolved in Black expressive movement culture in ways that are evident in the Buck Dance in New Orleans, Second Line Bands in HBCUs in the South. And in the Black church, it evolved as the shout in Pentecostal spaces. But the ring shout was a gathering and worship practice that was performed by enslaved Africans in the Southeast in particular. Of course, it migrated 
But what it was, was we would gather in circle and uh, we would sing and call and response. We would move counterclockwise, the whole room of us, lifting up our collective intentions in prayer. And uh, we did this in resistance to laws that were meant to dismantle community and to dismantle identity. So we preserved our identity in these sometimes secret spaces called praise houses. A praise house was where the floor was our communal drum. And because drums had been taken, drums was a form of communication. So it was not allowed. So we created drums out of these floors and they are sacred in these communities as spaces to preserve it still in some places. So I've been able to draw from that tradition and place praise houses in spaces where African-American narratives are, are in need of being lifted up or being reclaimed. And the first praise house we did here in Atlanta was at Oakland Cemetery. And we hope to do more in the city. We've received the National Endowment for the Arts grant, partnering with Emory University and DeKalb County to place more praise houses in our metro area. And as a part of that whole project, we are also doing this exhibition at the Michael C. Carlos Museum of me dancing the ring shout. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> and congratulations. I mean, it is no small accomplishment to receive an NEA grant like that which you did. If you are just tuning in, this is City Lights on WABE. I'm Lois Reitzes, and my guest is the artist and activist Charmaine Minifield. You described the indigo pigment you used in tribute to what was available here and what enslaved people had to cultivate. And you spoke about the crushed oyster shells. What is the symbolism behind the crushed oyster shells? Well, Lois, while I was in the Gambia, it was a challenge to find materials. So the initiation is what I call it, into just creating the work included collecting materials and medium. And that allowed for me also to interact with keepers of those traditions for generations. So crushed oyster shells actually lives inside of the trade skills of, of construction. And the indigo, of course, is sacred dye that's used in clothing and fabrics and the techniques I was able to witness and I've cherished included symbols and messages and I work to incorporate that into the work as well. I also was able to use mahogany bark, crushed mahogany bark as the brown or the red in my skin. The images that are at the Carlos Museum are all self-portraits. And they're self-portraits that came as a result of just the prayer and meditation that we all were inside of during quarantine. But that body of work was triggered by the loss of loved ones. We were all experiencing the uprisings of, uh, in resistance to the murders of George Floyd and others that were all taking place in the streets in the U.S. 
while I was in the Gambia, that was the reaction that came over me. It came from an ancestral memory of movement. And to shout in the church is, in the black church, is an act of victory. So there is an element of resistance inside of shouting. So for me, I wanted to resist all that was happening in the world, especially here in the US in the streets and against black and brown bodies. I wanted to resist the way that my ancestors did and call on that memory all the way from my beginnings to my present. And that included medium and materials and memories as I did so. And the result is eight foot size self-portraits, seven images. Eight feet. I'm six feet tall. So the images are even larger than life. And, And I did all of this, Lois, like live on social media as a way to stay connected to you all while I was stranded there. So fantastic. Stranded came to mind, but then I wondered if that was appropriate. Stranded in paradise. (laughs) So it it was not a bad thing. It was not a bad thing. Well, yeah, I was hoping you might talk about how you were received by the villagers and and the the craftspeople, the artists, the tradespeople you encountered. Ooh, oh my goodness. Okay, so every time I've been to Africa, I'm sure many African Americans have the same experience, but the reception is so overwhelming. The love is is there, the open arms and, and you know, return home, like we've made it, you know, the return element is so, so intense and beautiful. The first night that I was there, I walked through Saracunda, my village that I stayed in, and the woman was sitting on her front stoop, custom, everywhere in African spaces all over the diaspora, front stoop. I walked up to her, she's, and we, had, we started our conversation with, where are you from? I explained. She says, you know, all of us have the same grandmother. Oh. We all have the same grandmother. And man, that resonated so deeply within my work because I'm researching and following the stories of my grandmother. And for me, the prayers of my grandmother is what I hold so dear and I hold up in society, if you will, as an answer to how we can, you know, sort of replace some of these oppressive systems with a more indigenous model of, you know, well wishes of our mothers, if you will. But the reception was, was stunning, beautiful, lovely in so many ways. The woman who, Musa Kebodreme, who is the keeper of indigo in Sarakunda, Gambia, in the center where the village is basically an entire marketplace. It is the central marketplace. Her compound is women-centered and women-run. And me going through the streets of Gambia, living inside of a sort of a, intricate mythology that I created in my mind of maybe my family was looking for me, you know, hoping for me to come home. And I I would seek out people who looked like me. People told me I looked Fulani. My physical features are Fulani. She, Musa Cable Dreme, and that, that compound is run by Fulani women. So there was a, you know, a deep connection in every space. We went to Jufare. The village's 
the Akalo, the the king of the village is a woman who ah. had, yes, who had been enthroned by her father after divination from the, the priest through the stars saying that she should be crowned instead of her brothers. She was the king of Jufere and for 35 years and spoke of how everyone, all these ethnic groups had, that had migrated to that region because of the waterways had coexisted for generations and centuries. And so sitting in that ancient knowledge, drinking it up and <laughs> was just amazing. And I'm completely humbled by everyone's knowledge and love and willingness to share and receive and assist me in my own journey. Artist and activist, Charmaine Minifield, her exhibition, Indigo Prayers, a creation story, is on view at the Carlos Museum of Emory University through September 11th. More information is on our website, wabe.org. Coming up, Joe Alterman stops by. The jazz artist is host of Tomorrow Sounds Like ATL Showcase at City Winery. Amplifying Atlanta, this is 90.1 WABE. This is City Lights on WABE. I'm Lois Reitzes. Thank you for listening. In 2006, former President George W. Bush proclaimed that May would be Jewish American Heritage Month. To celebrate Atlanta's Jewish communities, WABE Sounds Like ATL will spotlight Jewish American musicians on May 10th at City Winery. Jazz pianist and executive director of Neronina, formerly the Atlanta Jewish Music Festival, Joe Alterman is hosting the event, and he joins us now via Zoom to talk about the Sounds Like ATL event. Joe, welcome back to City Lights. Thank you for having me. So here you are in a curatorial role again, what can you tell us about each of the performers? Well, uh, this was an interesting, I don't want to say challenge to put it together, but it's its its a little different than how I would approach, you know, an, an Aranana curation, because I always look for some sort of story beyond this person is a Jewish performer. What's the, what's the Jewish part? And so this was a different challenge because this is really a showcase of Jewish performers. And we wanted to get variety and people who write great original music. So to me, I think when I first thought about it, I was reminded of so many conversations that I've had with different Jewish organizations around town who just call me for recommendations for bands for different Jewish events. And often the conversation will go something like this. They'll say, hey, Joe, could you get us some Jewish music? And I'll say, Sure. What do you mean by that? <laughs> uh, we have talked about this at length on air, too. Oh, yeah. but a lot of times they'll say, you know, it's music that reflects Jewish life, for example. So I'll say, well, what does that mean to you? And they'll describe Fiddler on the Roof. And I'll say, you know, respectfully that 
that doesn't reflect Jewish life today. That reflects Jewish life in you know Eastern Europe a hundred and so hundred or so years ago. So when I was thinking about these groups, I wanted to think of kind of modern music that has a variety and is relatable and showcases Jewish performers and in a way you might not not think of it typically, if that makes sense. It makes sense. <laughs> so who did you round up for the performances? So we have Beth Schaefer, who is a wonderful uh, songwriter. She's actually the cantor at Temple Sinai in Sandy Springs. She writes great original music. It's kind of a singer-songwriter kind of vibe, but it's for everybody. I think that's a one important thing is there are Jewish themes in some of this music, but the music's for everybody. Then we got Mercury Orchestra, which is kind of like a Balkan beat brass band, kind of related to klezmer music, but it's, you know, from different area of the world. And uh, it's fun music. And I, what I like about it, that it's not just a straight klezmer band is that you'll hear a lot of obviously some Jewish influence. You'll hear some jazz influence. What's fun about this music to me is that it's almost like Jewish Dixieland music Interesting. <laughs> to, to me. I mean, I don't know if a lot of people would hear it like that, but that's what I love about it or one of the things I love about it. I'm looking at the name of a really upbeat, fun song with tuba and various wind instruments in it. Can you pronounce the title of that song? Yeah, is it Yaya Chev? Maybe Yaya yeah, <laughs> Okay, that that would work. Yeah, yeah. Is that in any way a riff on? I, I, I? What can you tell us about this song? I wish I could tell you more, honestly. Other than, well, I really enjoy their music. I love this song. They're just fun. They're great musicians. There's a lot of instruments. It's uh, I don't know if the word is. I've heard it used before. I think it's organized cacophony, (laughs) 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 which I mean in a very positive way. I I really enjoy it. To really hear the meaning behind the uh, the title and the song, I recommend uh, everyone come out to City Winery on the 10th. <laughs> Lastly, the band Book Club. Tell us about that. They're they're fun. Uh, another, I hate to overuse the word fun, but you know they they're really kind of showcasing the more folk and uh, country side side of of young. Jewish performers these days. I really like what they're doing. I mean, you won't you won't listen to the music and think this is, you know, Jewish music or anything. It's just Jewish people playing great folk music. I hear some people tell me I should really get away. I hear there's people 
excellent description and circles back to what you were saying about what's Jewish music or what makes music Jewish. Joe, how does this event at City Winery showcase a diverse representation of Jewish American musicians? Yeah, beyond having the age diversity and gender diversity in the show, I think what's really special about this to me is that there's a big genre diversity. I often get in conversations with people about Jewish music and, you know, I'll point out things and it's, it's honestly a frustrating thing for me because I'll point out that there's great, quote, Jewish music coming out of Brazil or Ethiopia or wherever. And often I'll get some pushback from people who say that's great, but the real Jewish music is coming from, you know, Eastern Europe, klezmer music. And to me, I don't think there's anything more, more Jewish or more real about Brazilian Jewish music from, you know, Eastern European Jewish music or Jewish music created by some young people in Atlanta who love country music. To me, Jewish music's not a genre, but it's more of a cultural phenomena that touches on different genres. And I think the variety of, of genres that we have at this concert is a great representation of that. I really don't think you can say anymore that the music of Fiddler on the Roof is the ultimate Jewish music. I think the music you'll hear next week, while maybe not as you know, obviously Jewish as some of the music on Fiddler on the Roof, for example, to me, it's just as Jewish. There's, there's no difference. And I think it's important that we, uh, you know, just as we had to redefine the word jazz after 1959, I think now's a good time to uh, finally redefine whatever Jewish music is. And I hope this concert will help do that. Jazz artist Joe Alterman, host of Tomorrow's Sounds Like ATL Showcase at City Winery. More information is available on our website, wabe.org. It's time now for our segment, Speaking of the Arts, where we profile some of the creative artists who call Atlanta home. My name is Ricky Prosper, and I make pop culture concepts. I've worked on all sorts of projects from designing pinball machines based off famous hip-hop album covers to recreating some of my favorite books as a kid as if current rappers wrote them. As a kid, I was always doodling in class. I had a really awesome and supportive art teacher, Ms. Turner, and she really helped motivate me. But my main motivation are my parents. They are both creative in their own right, especially my mom. I remember as a kid, she would Photoshop my friends' heads and mine onto characters like Batman and the Ninja Turtles, and it just rocked my world. I think I carry a bit of that surrealism in my art today. She was a real motivation to me and continues to be to this day. I'm also super motivated by other artists I see all the time through social media. People are always making such amazing stuff and I feel like I have to push myself to get on their level and get noticed. I also just like to have fun when making art, so that carefree feeling also motivates me to keep going and not get burnt out. It's hard to beat the culture that Atlanta exhumes. Two of my favorite things are hip-hop music and cartoons, and Atlanta is hubs to both. With so many amazing musicians and networks like Cartoon Network being based here, it really has it all. One of my favorite ways to enjoy new art in the city has to be just hopping on my bike and seeing all the new murals and graffiti that pops up on the daily. We have huge commissioned pieces like murals on apartment buildings to the Krog Street Tunnel where graffiti is basically legal and is constantly being tagged in different and creative ways. You can see all my work all over social media at Ricky Prosper. 
pop culture concept artist Ricky Prosper and our series Speaking of the Arts. You can learn more about Prosper's work on our website, wabe.org. You've been listening to City Lights, our daily exploration of arts and culture. Tomorrow at 11 a.m., Alton Brown joins us. The James Beard and Peabody Award-winning chef and host of Good Eats will give a talk and book signing at Variety Playhouse on Wednesday. If you missed part of today's show, you can catch up on our website, wabe.org slash citylights. There you'll find our complete archive of interviews so you can listen to City Lights on your schedule. City Lights senior producer is Kim Troves. Summer Evans is our producer and our engineer is Shelley Canavy. I'm your host, Lois Reitzes, and we want you to connect with City Lights on social media. We're at WABE City Lights on Facebook and Instagram. And you can follow me on Twitter at L-O-I-S-R-E-I-T-Z-E-S. Thanks for listening to WABE Atlanta. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Have you donated to WABE yet? I know you've heard us talking about why it's important, but it doesn't have to be this big decision. You can give at whatever amount fits your budget. It can be a spur-of-the-moment thing. You already get so much out of public radio, so just go for it. Visit wabe.org slash donate and become a member right now. And thank you.